Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are talking about the subject of hedging out downside risk. A lot of people that are long-term investors kind of shrug this off and just say, we'll ride the market out. But as you're here in this training session and what we're covering in the podcast, that can be a very, very expensive mistake to make. Buying some protection, making sure you're immune and insured against some of the uncertainty that could be around the corner will give you more peace of mind than you can possibly imagine. Take plenty of notes and as always, make sure you take plenty of action and I'll see you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurentiel. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Buddy? I'm very well, thank you. Well-dressed. Thank you. Looking nice. I want to get a how-to, and it's not a how-to dress as nicely as you, unfortunately. It's more related to markets this mm. time. I want to talk about how to hedge a portfolio, what that means, and what are some elements and ways to do that. Important topic of conversation considering the current environment. Absolutely. And, you know, people divide themselves and, and typecast themselves if they've got stocks in the marketplace. Some people consider themselves to be investors and they're just in it for the long term and will just hold and ride it out. And other people uh, perhaps are a little bit more nimble. It would be what you described as a trader, a little bit more active in the market. And this is the sort of place, you know, that these conditions tend to tend to pull those, uh, you know, into, into hedging. So, just as a point of note, why is hedging so important? Then we'll dive into what it is. If you're an investor, a buy and hold investor, and you know we've all seen markets pull back. You think about the GFC or you know, the tech boom and bust. Um, yeah, markets recover. They do get back up to those previous highs. The challenge is it can take quite some time. And specifically, and I've had a couple of people debate me on Facebook about this, but the statistics and the facts speak for themselves as always. It actually took the stock market in Australia 12 years to recover from the GFC to get back to those pre-GFC heights. That's a long time just to get your yeah. original investment back. Absolutely, imagine you're in transition to retirement at that stage, or, or in the case of the dot-com uh, bust uh, way back in 2000, it was 15 years before the NASDAQ recovered those previous highs. So the notion of, I'll just buy and hold, and markets always recover is a statement of fact. Uh, the challenge is the dead time where your money has effectively been euthanized for you know, a decade plus in both of those cases uh, to recover. So rather than go through that pain, and our goal isn't to take someone that's an investor kicking and screaming and dragging them into this dark room into the world of trading, but maybe to give them some more proactive tools to soften the pain of a market correction. Uh, and I think it's an important conversation to have. We've got a lot going on in markets right now, as we have had all year. So just before we dive any further, AB, can we get a, a definition for our listeners out there on what is a hedge? Okay, so in its purest form, a hedge is a position that you set up on your portfolio that in the event of your portfolio dropping in value, and, and, and that would be a market fall for most people, um, the mechanism that you've put in your portfolio would profit from that fall in the market. And the purpose for the hedge is that, okay, if the portfolio shares you've dropped by, say, 10 or 15%, uh, the hedge that you've put on would gain by 10 or 15% and net-net, they square each other off. And even though the market may have dropped, your portfolio is still worth in dollar terms what it was pre-correction. Hedging your bets, so yeah. to speak. So you're just putting in play, I guess, um, a marker to say, I'm not going to get exposed to the downside here. I'm now protected from it. There is a trade-off to that, and that's the fact that you also don't get an exposure to the upside because if in fact markets move higher, the value of your portfolio is going to increase, but the value of what you've bought as your hedge is going to decrease. And so the gain on one side will be offset by the loss on the other. So you're putting a line in the sand and saying, look, I'm happy given the current conditions in the market for my portfolio to be stable and be worth what it is today in two months time. 
when maybe volatility drops down and I might then choose to have a more confident directional view on what we're doing. So you're, you're opting out of further directional view potentially. You don't have to fully hedge and we'll get onto that later on. Um, but you're opting out of any further directional move in the market, either up or down. You're just setting your stand out to say, this is it. This is where I'm happy holding the value of my sh- my shares or my portfolio. Sometimes not a bad outcome considering what, what we've seen. So what are some, some mechanisms to hedge AB? How can we break it down? Look, they, they, they can be quite simple and some of them can be fairly complex. Um, looking at the more complex in the first instance, shorting the market. Um, yeah, and you can do that using futures, for example, uh, where you, you basically short the future or you can short the equity market and the index. That is quite a high level skill uh, in terms of doing this. How do you do it? You sell something you don't own, which in itself is a head spin for most people that don't understand you know, how these mechanisms work. And the goal is that you sell it for, say, $10 today. And if the market drops by 20% and it's worth $8 tomorrow, you buy it back for eight. If you sold something for 10 and bought it back for eight, you well, you've just made two dollars. Yeah, you've just done it in the reverse order than someone that bought shares at eight and sold them for ten hats. Uh, and it's possible to do that with a number of financial instruments out there. As I say, you know, futures is probably a little bit more towards the more sophisticated end for a lot of people. Uh, once you understand, it's also one of the easiest ways of doing it. But nonetheless, it does require a high level skill. So that's that's a way of doing this. But moving perhaps along the line a little bit to something that's um, a little easier still complex in some respects, but also very, very powerful. And that's the notion of using uh, put options. So you can buy a put option to, for want of a better description, be very careful because a regulator absolutely hates it if you say you've insured your shares, but the reality is you have insured your shares, you just can't call it insurance. So by buying a put option, you've bought a protection of your shares, which is very, very, very similar to having them insured. Um, so let's say BHP was trading at $40 and you're worried about the outlook for BHP. You could buy what's called a $40 put. And what that does as the owner of that put, it gives you the guaranteed right to be able to sell BHP shares for $40 at a point in time in the future. So if BHP drops to 30 bucks, legally and guaranteed, you can still sell your shares for $40 because you bought that insurance policy. Obviously, the downside is, though, of course, you've got to outlay money to purchase that policy, right? There are a couple of downsides to that. Number one, put options work over a finite period of time, so there's an expiry. So you've got to pick a time window that suits your view. So you might say, look, I want to insure for the next two months. and if you want to insure for two months, it's going to be cheaper than insuring for six months, just like your car. If you insure your car for half a year versus a year, the premiums are lower. Um, secondly, um, you're quite right. You do have to pay that money up to buy that insurance policy. So there is a cost associated with it. I'd also argue that's a peace of mind tax uh, that, that, that you know, is well worth uh, paying. I know, again, just for a bit of controversy and opinion on here, and feel free to go talk to your accountant about this. I've seen and had clients in the past that have used the cost of a put option as a tax deduction purely and simply because it's ensuring the value of their portfolio. Just like if you were a landlord and you bought a building or you had a house and you had building and contents insurance, that's a tax deduction for you as a landlord. So I did not a, know that. There have you a go. conversation with your accountant on by no means suggesting you can claim it, um, but it's a conversation that you might want to have with your accountant because to all intents and purposes, it's the same. Got you. So put options are, are a really good way. That's something that we use often on our trading desk. Yeah, and these, these are very nimble too. You can be in and out of those quite quickly. Um, yeah, some of the downsides to that is that you know the time when you want to buy insurance is usually a time when 
you know, circumstances are a little bit rough. And the challenge, of course, like any good insurance company, is when you want to buy insurance, if the conditions are rough, they're going to charge you a, a higher premium to reflect the, the choppiness in the economy or the market or the stock. So you can pay a little bit. So sometimes you're better off um, you know, buying that insurance you know, the, during the kelm before the storm and Absolutely. get that insurance a little bit cheaper, maybe for a little bit longer and, 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 and uh, protect yourself that way. So put options can be a very, very useful tool in that regard. And you can also sell that insurance policy back to the market when it's worth more too. That's something to consider. Correct. So you don't necessarily keep a hold of it and, and exercise that insurance policy. You're more than free to trade that in, in the marketplace too. So you can make some good gains on that. Again, the whole purpose of it though, and I think Mitch, it's really important to differentiate. If you're looking to hedge, what you're looking to do is to protect the value of your portfolio. If you start getting into the notion of buying a put option and trading around it, you're now taking a directional view where you're actually trading and looking to capitalize and profit from a falling market versus someone that's just simply trying to protect themselves from it. It's, a, it's an important difference. It's a, it's a subtle line, but it's an important one to acknowledge, yeah. Got you. Well, let's move on now. What about our favorite one, and arguably the easiest to understand, mm. that would be buying a short ETF. Yeah. So. Trying to go into the futures market yourself, uh, if you're new Tough. to this, or, or working out which option strike and which expiry to work on the back of, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that can all be quite challenging. Going into the ETF space, it's almost like a, an easier option in that the, the, the work is done for you behind the scenes by the manager of that ETF. So if you had a, a, a nervous and bearish view on markets, if you're looking at the Australian market, you might buy uh, the exchange traded fund BEAR, Bear, uh, which if the Australian equity market drops, the value of bear increases. It's on a correlated basis. So 10% drop there, 10% gain over there. Net net, you find yourself square. You've only got one transaction to do. It's very simple. It's reasonably liquid. Uh, and it's, it has a lot of buyers and sellers in there, so it's easy to trade. Um, and, and that's a very simple meat and potatoes way for anybody listening to this that owns a portfolio of shares that's worried uh, that there may be some downside to come where they can get the peace of mind and protect themselves from that downside. And you can do this across both the Aussie and the US markets as yeah, we know. If, if we were looking at the US market, SH on the S&P 500 uh, or the PSQ, PSQ on, the, on the NASDAQ exactly would be uh, would be good places to go to to protect yourself if you've got US stocks or, or, or you've got a bearish view on the US market. Where I think people can come unstuck sometimes with ETFs, we, we talk about a pure hedge, which is what we've just spoken to there, is where you start moving into geared ETFs. So, you know, you could do SQQ on the NASDAQ or BBOZ on the Aussie market uh, to get a geared exposure to that downside view. And for someone that's brand new to this, I'd probably not suggest that you go down that pathway because you're just adding some high octane fuel to something that's you know, quite likely to move fairly quickly. That said, you know, and I guess as we move into the next part of this conversation, well, how much of the portfolio do you hedge? The magic question. Um, you know, if you've got, you know, 100 grand in the market, do you hedge that whole 100 grand? Do you hedge a partial amount, half of it, 20%, 10% of it? And sometimes it comes down to how much spare cash that you actually you actually have. Um, uh, you know, so let's say, you know, you're largely fully invested and you've only got five grand out of 100,000 to, to hedge. We've only got five grand to work with. So if you buy a, a, a short ETF, SH or PSQ or, 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 or Bear, you're only ever going to be able to buy a fairly small amount of it. It was only going to be a very small part of the hedge. And this, I think, is where geared ETFs can add some value because if you've got an ETF like you know, SQQ uh, that offers you know, double or triple um, gearing uh, to that downside, well, that five grand's worth of hedge is now $10,000 worth of hedge. So that's a valid case. 
you've got to be along the line in the journey before you start tapping into those kind of tools. You know, you're trying to sort of get into a Formula One car when you probably should be in a Prius for a lot of people, you know. So you just want to make sure that you don't, you know, get too excited with these sorts of things. So the question may be, how do you work out what amount you should be hedging? Yeah, it comes down to like your strength of view. I mean, if you feel that you're in for a, a big big leg down in the market, I guess the obvious question is, well, why don't you just sell your shares? And whilst it's very simple to say that, from an emotional point of view, a lot of people struggle with that decision because you know, trying to time the market is notoriously difficult. People typically don't have access to some of the tools that we, we've we developed um, in our trading lab, you know, things like the signal screener, for example, which has been sure. a very good tool uh, you know, on when to get in, when to get out. Um, also, you know, the notion of selling shares yeah, a lot of portfolio clients, a lot of investors out there that have got a, a yeah a decent long term portfolio, were, were were they to sell their shares, the capital gains tax liability is really quite substantial. So yeah, and if you're not structured in the right way and your capital gains tax is fifty percent, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty decent haircut to take. So I can understand your reluctance for saying, well, look, I think the market's going to drop by 15 percent. I don't really want to sell my shares, though. I don't want the 10% drop in their value. But equally, I don't want to have to pay the ATO 50% of the gain I've made out of this stock that I've held for the last 10 years, 12 years, whatever it might be. So in that instance, using a hedge makes an awful lot of sense. As I say, if you're an investor, don't be closed to this. You should be listening to this so that you've got the peace of mind and confidence knowing that your shares are protected to the downside and you're avoiding that notion of having to liquidate and then pay tax. And I guess to add to that, AB, if you're a long-term investor and your view is that markets go up generally over the long term, which mm. we know they do, mm. why sell your shares in the short term when you've been holding them for the long term when you can simply just buy and sell an ETF, as yep. you mentioned, over a short period that's to right. capitalize on that? And I think that sort of active management of a passive portfolio makes makes a lot of sense. So you know, turning back to the question, you know, how much do you hedge? Depends on how strong your view is, how much cash you've got to work with, um, you know, what the nature of your portfolio is, are there capital gains that you're trying to avoid realizing um, or is it an actively traded portfolio and again that comes back to making sure you you kind of have your structure sorted out you know early on in the piece before you sort of build your wealth up too much but hedging it's a crucial skill you can't you can't um, have serious money running in markets and you know there's an interesting term isn't it serious money what serious money well everyone's money should be serious to them, whether it's a five grand account or a $5 million account or beyond. Um, managing it prudently is how you turn it into a bigger account, not a smaller account. Got you. For our listeners out there, AB, what I'd really love to hear, I'm sure as everyone else would, a situation that you've had in the past in your career where you've seen a, a, a context or a situation where mm. you felt like you needed to hedge, what you did to hedge the portfolio and how it worked out. Okay. Um, yeah, I've bought puts on stocks quite frequently. So insured your shares? As I've insured my shares. And the advantage of that is that you can be very precise with that. There's a level of precision where you're not taking a market view. It might be on a particular stock um, to, 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 to lock in gains. And th this notion of managing risk or buying puts for protection, people think, oh, that's because the market's falling. But if you if you take an example, um, and this is going back in the mists of time, take Babcock and Brown, which we actually helped list was it 2005, six, like a long time ago now. Uh, that was a stock that we listed at, at $5 and that stock had a run up to, you know, 36, 37 bucks. So 700% gain on it. And when you're up five, 600% on a trade, the natural thing is to, well, let's just take profit. But psychologically, that's quite hard to do when you're in something that's absolutely charging and you think, well, this is going to be the next Macquarie. It's going to go to a hundred bucks. Agreed. So we're going to hold on to this. But how do you hold on to it in a way that's that's prudent and a way that's 
sensible and stacks the odds in your favor for making some money. And in that instance, yeah, buying some put options on the way up. So, you know, with the stock at $28, buying a Babcock and Brown $25 put, well, if the share price drops down, I get the ability to sell my shares at 25 bucks. I only paid five for them, so I'm locking in a 500% gain. Happy days. So that's an example of hedging out the downside to protect profit, not just simply your capital. And so, you know, once you understand that, you know, falls in markets happen reasonably often, especially this year, um, and 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 you've got the confidence and the skill set, the knowledge, maybe the support around you, the techniques to insulate yourself from that downside, whether that's confirming and locking in guaranteed profit or whether it's um, confirming uh, and locking in guaranteed capital values on your shares. Hedging makes an awful lot of sense. That's an example using an option. I do use um, ETFs as well. I've got uh, some bearish views on the market at the moment, so they're not so much hedges. Uh, They're more just a directional play, which I'm using ETFs for as well. If I go back through the dot-com boom, uh, particularly, and then the subsequent bust, at that time, the market um, was a little bit different. And one of the tools, and if, you, if you've been around markets for a while, you remember these, was actually the warrants market. So he's warrants back then, actually, to form some level of protection. So uh, on the uh, on the NASDAQ, I remember trading those fairly actively, also some options around it too, on the index uh, to, to, to protect positions. So yeah, it's a well time-tested strategy. It's not boring, it's not being scared, it's not running for the hills or bunkering down. It's just making sure that the profit that you've made gets to stay in your bank account. Uh, and in your trading account, or it's 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 making sure that you can sleep at night. And both of those are very valid boxes to tick. So it's not a, oh, a bit nervous, better buy a hedge. Oh, poor you, do you want to go home and cry? No, I just want to make sure I keep the money that I've made. Absolutely. That's smart. And the alternative to that, I'll ride it out. And and, and look, by all means, it's your money. Ride it out if you so, so wish to. Just remember that that can take an awful long time to recover. And if you've had the foresight and the skill set to avoid that 12 years, imagine how euphoric you would be. Hey, my shares are worth what they were when I bought them. Oh, that's great. Back to break even. But you've taken 12 years to get there. And you think about what the cost of living does over a 12 year period, especially given you know the current inflationary environment. That's great that you've got your capital back, but what you can buy with your capital is probably about a third of what you could have bought 12 years ago. So you've effect- effectively, you've lost 66% buying power. You got the moral win, oh, broke even, good on you. Go and do a lap, get the kazoo out, blow the horn, whatever you want to do, that's your choice. But you've lost 66% of your buying power. Why do you want to do that when a few simple steps of protecting yourself gives you that peace of mind and eliminates the risk of being in that unfortunate position where, yes, you've got your capital back, but your capital buys way less now. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, there's never been more of a more of a need to have this kind of discussion. AB, and I think for our, our younger listeners out there, we think about pre-COVID sell-off where the market wiped off forty percent. Mm. In house, we had that signal screen, a red box, where we undertook those hedging yep. abilities. And gee whiz, did it look after us? It looked after us, looked after our clients, and that's the power, I guess, of you know having experience and, and, and some robust tools and then not just the experience and the robust tools but several pathways that you can go down to then to then protect your account and your portfolio you think how hard you got to work for your money and you know this whole notion of trading and investing you can understand why it's a head spin for so many people so you go away you go and work you work pretty hard you manage to save what you can after tax and then you're going to deliberately take that after tax saving a fraction of your income that you've busted your back to make and deliberately expose it to risk in the markets it, it doesn't sound that appealing when you put it that way and that's why 
building in these kinds of skills to protect that downside are absolutely essential. Number one, it's going to make it much easier for you to invest if you know you can control the downside and manage it. And, and if you invest more, you'll grow more, you'll make more, you'll retire early, have a better quality of life. So that's a, that's a well-trodden path. But just the psychological beat-up that people go through, and you know, I know from... Yeah, you know, the GFC in particular, we, we we stewarded our clients really, really well through that, and um, and 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 again, you know, the September 11 attacks, another example um, where you know the market was already in a bearish bearish shape actually prior to that, so we had some protection to the downside, and then September 11, totally unrelated event, but they happened to come along and obviously kick the pins out from the from, from under the market, and and listening to clients that we'd worked with and educated that had those positions in play going, oh, gee, that was lucky. And then on the other side of the business, in, in the pure stockbroking business, so we had our education clients on one side of it, and then we had generic stockbroking clients on the other. Listening to the stress levels for those other clients, particularly for someone that's approaching retirement. So let's say, here you go, you're about to touch down, you're retiring in six months' time, you've worked really hard, you've got a half million dollar portfolio in the market, it kicks out a nice income, hopefully using cash flow on demand to generate that income over the top of it, then all of a sudden your half million portfolio is worth 250 grand. It's tough. You've just had a 50% pay cut on what your retirement income was going to be. So that plan to retire in six months' time may not be happening now. And psychologically, that's crushing because so many people, when they decide to retire, they've got that finish line in mind and they're kind of going to limp across and get to that line and then they're done. So they've already mentally clocked out. For someone then suddenly to say, actually, no, you're not done. You're going to have to go another couple of years. And, and it's a different example and it's a different analogy. If you go back to a sporting event, which was not so long ago, which was the Tyson Fury um fight against Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder knocked down Tyson Fury and to all intents and purposes given that you know Wilder's one of the most renowned punchers in the in the fight game. It was like it was all done and he watched him, he clocked off, he was doing his celebration in the ring, you know, cheering his fans on. And then out of the corner of his eye he sees the Terminator get up off the floor. You know, Tyson Fury, the gypsy king, gets up off the canvas, shakes himself down and proceeds to start fighting him again. Crazy. Now mentally he'd already clocked off in that fight because as far as he was concerned, he just won it, only to realize that his opponents just got up off the canvas and there's a whole fight ahead of him and Fury won that fight convincingly um, you know, uh, with a stoppage and, uh, and that'll go down in history. And the reality is trading can be the same. Um, you know, if you've clocked off that you're retiring and then suddenly you've got to clock back on again, the psychological damage that does for people is very, very hard to get past. Yet it's so easy to fix if you use some of these tools. And I, again, I saw that first time. Twin Towers going down, GFC, so we're doing dot-com boom and bust. We saw it through the COVID crisis. Doubtless to say we'll see that this year uh, with what's going on in markets too. So, you know, there is a pattern here. Make sure you protect yourself. And these aren't just words and stories that we're using to fill up a podcast to take up our allotted time. There, there's huge value in this. You know, experience is a great teacher. It's even cheaper when it's somebody else's. And don't make sure that you pay a lot for your experience by blowing up your account through these choppy times. Take the cheaper option. Listen to what we've just talked about here. It's free on this podcast and apply the knowledge that we're teaching you. Learn how to be able to protect and ensure yourself. And it's the best investment you'll ever make. I think it's Warren Buffett. The best investment you'll ever make is in yourself. Invest, learn how to protect yourself. And when this downside comes along and you are immune to it, you'll be very, very grateful that you took the 25, 30 minutes to listen to us today. 
Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better myself, AB. Unashamed plug. How do our listeners out there get access to this kind of information? Follow us through. Um, you know, we're all over socials. Hit us up in the bio on here. Um, also, um, australianinvestmenteducation.com.au. Register, come on to one of our training events, talk to our team. Don't leave it too long. This market's not going to hang around. Absolutely. Well said, AB. Cheers. Cheers. There you have it, guys. Make sure you use some protection and hedging if you want to keep your portfolio safe. I'll ask one thing of you, and that's if you know someone that's in the market that's at risk of losing money if the market turns down, share this podcast with them. Make sure they get this information, and maybe you might just help them avoid the pain of trading on a landmine in markets. We'll see you next week.